Welcome to the Sports Ball for Millennials podcast with Louis Schaefer and Louis Januzzi. Yes, we are back. Our fourth episode. Back at it again. Myself, Lewis Schnuzzi, with my good pal, Lewis Schaefer, here to talk to you about what has happened this week a day early. Because I am leaving to go to New Hampshire tomorrow, and I must get everything done before I run away from my family and start my life anew, putting my past behind me. Lewis, how are you? How you doing? Doing well. Living the dream. <laughs> Good, as always. Not not quite ready to run away from my family, though. <laughs> <laughs> we got a lot to talk about today. We have a new segment, Top 5, that I thought of um, because I just has, have such a brilliant mind. Pretty much what we're going to do is just talk about what I thought were the top five interesting stories of the week. Now, remember, this has to do with the whole week, not just what happened yesterday. There's a lot of stuff that happened just yesterday and the day before. It's crazy stuff going on. But we'll just talk about those things. We'll do the wheel. Maybe we'll hit like one or two things in the wheel. I have a single, singular hot take. Trivia is pretty weak though, Lewis. I will tell you. I got maybe two questions for you. And that's about it. But we'll do it towards the end. Because I haven't decided if I uh, think these questions are fair or not. Anyway, uh, let's just go straight into top five. Top five. Top five. Brought to you by Pat's Run Band. They just released a brand new album. They're good friends. Uh, the band leader, Matt Enters, he runs it. So go check them out. They're on Spotify. Pat's Run, amazing band. Anyway, top five. We're going to talk to you about what I thought were five of the best stories from the week. Now, not positive, but just good stories. We'll go straight to number five, and I'll just mention them, Lewis, and then you can give me what you think about them. Number five, Le'Veon Bell. Officially, as of yesterday at 4 p.m., did not report. He is out for the season. He's done. He left $14 million out on the table. Gone. Done. He has sacrificed all that money because of longevity, his health. People are bashing him like crazy for not showing up. People are bashing him for just quitting on his team. I think that the Steelers did not show enough faith in order to put a long-term contract in him. They thought that they were just going to, after the franchise tag, get rid of him, just like Kirk Cousins and the Redskins, and they wanted to move on. And Le'Veon Bell did not want to spend his time with a team that wasn't going to give him that longevity. I think Le'Veon made a good decision. I think it turned out terribly. I think the fact that James Conner's so good, it turned out terribly for him. I mean, he probably wished that by week five they would have given him a long-term deal because the running back position was... Yes, because he was such a good running back, but I think that he's still going to get that long-term contract, probably with the Jets. I still think that uh, he's a fantastic top-five running back, regardless of the fact the offensive line's good. And now he's preserved his health. That's my opinion. I completely agree with you. It is a genius move regardless, and it's never really been done before. So if I had to put it in one word, it's ballsy. Um, <laughs> it's the ballsiest the, thing the, I've ever seen, putting $14, million on, putting $14 million in a trash can pretty much. Honestly, just blowing your nose with $14 million <laughs> in, in the name of getting 50 or 60 next year over a few years. Well, I think um, the thing he wants it guaranteed. I mean, that's... He wants it guaranteed, yeah. And and if, if Connor was struggling, then maybe by, you know, like you said, around week five, they're, you know, okay, here's your contract. Here's exactly what you want. Please come back. <laughs> please. <laughs> please come back. Please. Please come back. He's awful. I really think they're good. he's going to go to the Jets. I think because the Jets have over a hundred million in cap room, they will just spend it on Le'Veon because Le'Veon is just—he's there for the taking. The Jets have the money; they don't have an elite running back. I mean, they have—they have Bilal Powell. I mean, he's kind of good, but since, since and not even when they had Matt Forte come over from the Bears. I mean, they've been struggling at the running back position for a while now. I mean, since Ladainian Tomlinson, they really haven't had a named back, right? So I personally, yeah, name. yeah I, I personally think Le'Veon's probably going to go there, and the Jets do not have a standout offensive line. No, neither a New York team does, and I think that it'll be a true test to see whether Le'Veon Bell is actually an elite back or not. Now, he, I think he is absolutely top five, but it'll show whether he can operate the same way in 
that he did in Pittsburgh if he doesn't have the offensive line that he had in Pittsburgh or even the uh, pretty much the security that he had at Pittsburgh because Pittsburgh, remember this, Pittsburgh has had three head coaches in the last how many years? Like 40, 50 years? It's like the craziest stat ever. The Jets have been just going through. I have a through, new one. <laughs> yeah, right. They go through a roulette wheel of just uh, how what number do you want to pick? And it looks like at yeah. the end of this season, they're going to go fire another one. And, and, and I think to build off your point, I think that's the thing is – he was playing in Pittsburgh, and as far as like a media market out in that part of the country, like the Steelers are king. No other city in you know Ohio or anything comes close to them. The Steelers are king of that area. Yeah. So it's it's it would be an interesting dynamic if he came to the Jets. Yeah, it definitely would be, uh, especially in the New York market. I mean, you would Le'Veon would be the king of the Jets, and Odell would continue to be the king of the Giants when it came to the media, and it would just be a it'd be spitballing to see which one of them would just cause the biggest. A uh, new story of the week, just distracting yeah. from what we should really focus on, just the game. Uh, anyway, yeah, so Le'Veon doesn't show up. He's conserving himself for next season. We'll see uh, how he does next season where he goes, but there's one thing for sure. He's not going back to the Steelers unless they pay him over $20 million on a franchise tag. Yeah, no, I, I don't think after this year there's any way they even think about putting that tag on him. No, forget that. And they weren't going to, even if Le'Veon <laughs> had a 2000 rushing yard season and was the number one player on that team even if he won the mvp even if he was giving girly numbers they still wouldn't put him on a a 20 million dollar franchise tag to give him a long-term contract after the end of the year top five um okay number four there's a really interesting story that i found supposedly it's reported that the nationals we all know about Bryce Harper and how he's trying to sign a long-term deal supposedly there was uh, some info that was released that the nationals GM actually made a deal with the Astros to trade Bryce Harper to them this season before the trade deadline and ownership came down and told him absolutely not. How crazy is that? That's nuts. Isn't it? I, I mean, I don't know the details. I, I would have that, that's the spot I'm in. I'm, I almost want to see more details. Yeah, you know, I want to see what they were giving up in return. Pretty much what they were giving up for a half of your contract of a player that's going to go for 30, One of the top three that. players in the league. Yeah, yeah right. <laughs> On the open trade market, I almost am interested to see what Harper would have brought the Nationals in return, like you said, for a couple months. It'd be super interesting to see. Uh, I'm looking at it right now, but they they Ken Rosenthal reported it. He's a writer for The Athletic. They agreed to a blockbuster trade, but uh, they uh, do not uh, show the details whatsoever. Um, what's interesting though is if it was at the halfway point of the season, uh, Bryce Harp, the Bryce Harper trade at is uh, Harper was not he did not have his upswing at the end of towards the trade deadline. Like he was picking it up big time in the second half of the season after the All Star break. So it'd be interesting what the trade was if maybe the Nationals thought, oh well, he's on the downswing and we're not going to sign him to this huge deal. It's definitely a strange dynamic. Like I said, it doesn't happen all the time, you know. Mm-hmm players move around in basketball and yeah. with this you know the Dodgers gave up some good prospects for Machado and Harper's even better so it would have been interesting it'll be crazy interesting all right top five all right moving on to number three uh the Des Bryant injury obviously I mean okay I hate the Cowboys and I hated Des Bryant I hated everything he stood for at the Cowboys but once he leaves the Cowboys and he becomes a free agent and he starts cursing out the Cowboys, I all of a sudden start liking him. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then he goes over to the Saints, and I think this is great for two reasons. One, it'll stop Michael Thomas's fantasy football value, which I <laughs> cannot stand how good he is because I keep playing him all the time and he keeps destroying me. And second, I'm kind of rooting for Dez to play for New Orleans and play against his old team and just light up the Cowboys because the Saints are going to light up the Cowboys. And so I thought it was going to be a huge, awesome story. And the second day of practice, he tears his Achilles. He tears his Achilles. At the last play of the second day of practice, that was it. It was the end of the day. It was his last route, and boom, he's done. There's a few photographs of him practicing with the Saints, and uh, that's the only evidence of him ever being a saint pretty much or these pictures of him in a practice uniform. He never even got to suit up for them. That, that was, that was terrible. I mean, I hate injuries, but like you said, 
I wanted to see what he did outside of Dallas. You know, it it almost felt he's not on the caliber record wise of T.O. But like when T.O. finally left for the NFC East, yes, he went to Cincinnati, but it was enjoyable or, mm-hmm. or Buffalo, wherever he went for, first. It was almost OK. I want to see what what Dez can do now to see him go down like that sucked. It really did. I was really hoping for a for a kind of comeback story where he kind of destroyed the Cowboys and made me really happy. But I guess that is what it is. He he uh, had a good season in 2017. He had 838 yards receiving. He was averaging 12 yards a catch. He had six touchdowns. He obviously had a bunch of drop balls that we all remember very well uh, because that was what he was known for in 2017 really his career he's made some big big time drops but noticeably was dropping a lot of balls in 2017 but played all 16 games even in 2015 he only played nine games in 2016 he only played 13 so he looked like he was in good shape but back to what we were talking about Le'Veon I mean Des took a big long break before he came back and then tore his Achilles on the second day there are gonna be teams now I think Le'Veon's still gonna get the big money but I'm wondering if the market, though, team-wise, wouldn't be like 10 to 12 teams that are going to go fiercely after him. Now it might be somewhere around like 4 to 6 teams. Yeah, I think Le'Veon coming back after not playing for a year is going to scare teams into thinking that Le'Veon might get injured. That he's not calloused from the season prior. He's not up to speed. See, I, see, I don't know about that. Just because it's... in. in... In my mind, like, Dez's numbers were on the decline, and most of it was because of Dak Prescott being an average quarterback. You know, Romo used Dez a lot, so his numbers were down. So I think that was part of the reason why he sat out there so long, because I don't think teams thought he had anything left in the tank. Um, You know, and obviously we're taking a whole year off with Le'Veon, but, you know, if you look at what he did, the 2017 season if you were if you can give a contract and be guaranteed that you'd sign up for it any day of the week giving a contract to a guy who's been having whose numbers have been on the decline is a little riskier yeah he could get in the right system new orleans looked like it could have been because of breeze um and and flourish but he also could have the saints could have given him this deal for a lot more money in the off season and then had him tear his Achilles. So yeah. imagine if uh, imagine if Drew Brees comes back next year, which is a high possibility. Michael Thomas yeah. is still in the Saints, high possibility, uh, and they still don't have that second receiver, and they just signed Dez on another one-year contract. Oh, I could see it. I could I see it too. I, I was think I was thinking that this week with them all throwing up the X after their touchdowns. I was like, he's clicked with this team already, and he practiced twice. He's they might just bring him back. I wouldn't doubt it. At all. All right, number two. Top five. The Philadelphia 76ers made the trade. They have been wondering when they were going to get a one more big-time player to finally push themselves to the point where they can beat the Celtics, and they finally did it. Jimmy Butler from Minnesota, the man who came and said, I want to get traded immediately. Get me out of this hellhole. Has finally been traded to the Philadelphia 76ers. Uh, Minnesota received... Uh, Jared Bayless and Robert Covington and Dario Saric, uh, Dario Saric and a second round draft pick in 2022. Okay, it's a long way away. Yeah. Um, anything for and they they got Butler and they got Patton as well. It's a huge it's a huge trade and I think it's great for the 76ers because one. I mean they're making Ben Simmons into a superstar and Joel Embiid is like that media personality, but now you got. You have the caliber pretty much that the Celtics have, and you have a caliber of a team that has the possibility of an upset with the Warriors. Possibility. I still think the NBA is somewhat of a joke because it's a bunch of toddlers playing, and there's one adult chaperone that's like, nope, don't do that. Nope, don't do that. No, don't do that. Because pretty much the Warriors are just going to continue their dominance. But I think the Sixers have put themselves in a position where they are winning now, Trust the process is pretty much over. The process is done. It is finalized. This is the team. This is the team that they want going in this year. This is the team that they hope to go in with next year and hopefully for a few years. They 
obviously have admitted the fact that Markel Fultz was a mistake at draft pick because they literally took Jimmy Butler in in order to bench Markel Fultz because of his shooting. Uh, I don't know about that. I don't know. I don't think I'd go that far. I would say so. I mean, Markel Fultz last season was an absolute mess. And then they just pretty much said, yeah, he forgot to shoot. And then he comes in this season and he's doing a little bit better. But when you take a first pick overall, I mean, don't you expect some type of production immediately? Don't you expect him to be somewhat NBA ready immediately after you draft him in the draft? I mean, this isn't the MLB where you pick the first person overall and then they stay in the you know AAA for two or three years. In the NBA, I mean, you have 19-year-olds, 20-year-olds, pretty much the entire Knicks team is a bunch of 19 and 20 year olds except for um, Tim Hardaway. I don't know. I mean, they're a terrible team, but that's a terrible example. But I, I think Markel, I think they're very much regretting taking Markel Fultz. That's just my personal opinion. Uh, see, see, that's the thing that I'm, I'm struggling on. You know, just because it's, I, I think looking back at that draft, they probably would have ended up with a point guard regardless. Um, even if they didn't trade up, because they were at three, they traded, they traded up with Boston. If I'm thinking, if Boston still takes Tatum, if they liked him all along, then you run the option of having potentially the Lakers not wanting the circus that is Lonzo, and then him falling to Philly. Nobody three. wants that. Exactly. Um, you know, I, I think with the promise that Fultz showed out of college, the Sixers, if they wanted to not get stuck with LeVar, they almost had to make the, tra- make the trade to get ahead of the Lakers. I mean, the Lakers were pretty much pinned against the wall in order to take him. Yeah. As if they didn't take him, uh, he probably would have dropped big time. He probably would have dropped probably past. Uh, he probably would have not been in the top five because they kept saying, we want to go to Los Angeles, we want to go to the Lakers, we want to go to the Lakers. And then all of a sudden... If he gets chosen by the Sixers, he has to go to Philly, and then the dad comes out and goes, oh, I hate that, you know? Then all of a sudden they send Lonzo to Lithuania, and it just goes, <laughs> it all goes to hell. But, yeah. yeah. I mean, but it's, the, the as far as the Butler deal, I still think if Markel Fultz can find himself, I think this just eases the pressure on him right now. Because it's it was a situation where, Fultz was being looked at to be that third star, along with uh, Ben and Joel Embiid. Now you bring in Butler, you have a big three, you can hang with Boston and Toronto, and I guess I'll say Milwaukee because we'll hear about it in the group chat if I don't say it. But if Markel Fultz can find himself, then you have a fourth star. Then you can get in the conversation with Golden State. Because unless you have two players that are phenomenal like Houston had in in Paul and Harden, you can't hang with them with less than three. You can't even push a series to, you know, five or six games if you don't have a third superstar. Fultz can still find himself. And if he does, then they have a solid, solid set of four and the bench is deep. They, I think they got a steal in Butler, and they still have cap space. The you know that's true. Yeah, next, this summer. So they definitely got a steal in Butler. Uh, they obviously they were they did a great job in trading players and not trading huge draft picks. Yeah, no, um, that was that was the biggest thing they could have done. When I saw it was only they have that pick from Miami that they picked up in the draft this year, mm-hmm. and once I saw that wasn't part of it, I was like, okay, this is a good trade. Yeah, yeah, absolutely agree. Pardon the interruption for this podcast, but I forgot to say what number one was because I was so caught up in the moment. Number one was Chris Bryant is on the trade block for the Cubs. The Cubs have come out and said that that everybody on their team is eligible for trade. How crazy is that? Chris Bryant. You would think that he would be a staple for the Cubs long term, but I guess that's not the case any longer. All right. Well, back to the show. So let's go to the uh, let's go to the wheel. Spin the wheel, see what it lands on. Bingo, bango, bongo. Let's see what it goes to. We have a bunch of things on the wheel today. We got the MLB awards, Philadelphia Eagles, big NFL, people being dropped and pick up. Then you got NFL award probabilities. Carmelo Anthony's woes because he is benched slash going to be dropped soon. Uh, then we talk about some more contract stuff that includes Dez, Le'Veon, and also uh, includes some of the Legion of Boom. 
and what's going on over there, specifically, especially with Earl Thomas and him flipping off the sideline when he was leaving back in week three. Seven, Jets and Bills. And then SEC in college football and choice, choice. The wheel right now is on the MLB awards. How fitting. Because <laughs> we pretty much have everything released except for the MVP awards, which are practically, in my opinion, a given at this point. Yeah, no, I agree. Lewis had a good night tonight. I had a very good night tonight. <laughs> uh, your team is, you know, sad and plumpy, but you had a beautiful <laughs> shining star. A man with a 10-9 and record as a pitcher. Jacob DeGrom wins the National League Cy Young. Blake Snell of the Rays wins the American League Cy Young. Fitting. And also, there has been talk, and, I, and I've seen this in chats that I've been in, but also I've seen this online about how people are trying to see if there are different stats other than ERA to base pitching on. If there is any uh, evidence on what stat is the most important for pitching, it is ERA tonight. Jacob DeGrom wins 29 of the 30 votes. Uh, his ERA was the best in the major leagues at a 1.7. And he had a terrible win-loss record, and it doesn't matter. And it nope. shouldn't matter, especially if he's not responsible for the hitting on his team. He's responsible for the pitching. There was games where they would lose one nothing, 2-1. Uh, it's ridiculous that people even mention the fact that win-loss would matter. Um, and Blake Snell had the second-best ERA in the major leagues. Just goes to show you that ERA is what matters. War matters for batters, and ERA matters for pitchers, and that's it. Yeah, no, it does. Because at the end of the day, especially with how quickly managers pull pitchers out now, it's tough to get wins. You have to be, you know, your team has to be up like five runs when you leave the game to really get yourself a win. Because if it's close, they're think of, you know, I think of it this way. No starter on Milwaukee will ever win the Cy Young, Pure, uh, at least a starting pitcher, because hmm. you know they're so quick to go to Hater. You know yeah. they're so quick to go to that bullpen, and that's the way you know kind of the league is going. Realistically, on the you know I think the Yankees too. Severino is probably the only option unless they sign somebody this offseason because they're so quick to go to Robertson, Patances, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, but you know, I, yeah. the Yankees are the same way, though. They go straight to the bullpen as well. I mean, Severino will stick, but CeCe Sabathia, they rarely put him past four innings. Uh, yeah. And then Tanaka, they'll put him maybe to five or six innings. But during the season, they won't put him above 100 pitches because with Tanaka, he has a slight tear in his elbow that he's had for years. And they're just waiting for that bomb to go off, but it's just not going off. But they want to yeah. keep him. Yeah, but yeah, when it comes to the big teams, when it comes to the teams that hire, like, 20 analytic plus 20 plus analytic guys that look at it and go get to the bullpen get to the bullpen after two times through the lineup that's it but the Mets they just they were struggling so much they were like whenever DeGrom came up they were like DeGrom you just stay out there you just keep pitching until the pitch count gets so high that we have to take you out because he was that dominant yeah and 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 that's the thing is that he was that dominant you know that what he was able to do as far as you know the innings he pitched and and Whatever doesn't happen if he's not mowing guys down. If he's struggling to get through innings, they pull him. But he he really didn't have, I think, maybe one start where he gave up like five or six runs. Other than that, I can't really think of any time that he didn't hold the other team to, you know, two or three runs. And it was just the Mets being inept on offense. But an interesting fact from the Cy Young, and this brings us to trivia. Oh, boy. Any of the pitching candidates. Any of them. It can be any of the pitching candidates. Uh, and this is an easy one because there's so many little candidates. And you're a big baseball guru. You probably know this. This pitcher broke the record for most consecutive quality starts this season, meaning giving up less than three runs in consecutive starts in a row. Uh, and that would mean uh, three runs or fewer. Oh, easy. Come on, you got to get more difficult. Than this. <laughs> it is. He had 28. How many? That's incredible. 28 that's... starts in a row, in which he I, gave I... up less than three runs, and his record is 10 and nine. <laughs> no, who's the I... who's the other pitcher that the, the is it? It's not. Is it Mats? No, it's uh. Who are your starting pitchers on the Mets? You got Mats. You got Syndergaard, Degrom, Wheeler, Wheeler, and uh, Vargas. Vargas had three less wins. Than the Cy Young winner. 
Yeah. And he is his ERA was wasn't it between a five and a seven? Just I think so. Yeah, he wasn't he wasn't very good. And yet, his, <laughs> and yes, he still had seven wins to compare to Degrom's ten. There was something about Degrom pitching that the Mets just stop playing. And and that's the thing is it, it you know it always felt like it's it's always been this problem with the Mets like. Johan Santana was phenomenal and they couldn't score runs for him. You know, mm-hmm. Harvey was the same way when he was good. You know, they just couldn't score for him. And now it's DeGrom's turn. <laughs> but I had seen a stat after the season that, like, if the Mets scored four runs a game or something uh, during his starts, he'd be like 30 and one or something like that. Mm-hmm. You know, based on the innings he was going, like, comp, decent run support. And and next year the NL pitchers getting the Jacob Degrom award. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's crazy. It's crazy. And also another thing about Jacob Degrom, and this is an obvious fact, he is the first uh, Cy Young winner with ten wins. That's the lowest a Cy Young has ever been awarded. To, that's the lowest amount of wins that a Cy Young winner has ever received. And if you were to do this award back in the fifties or the sixties, I bet Degrom wouldn't have won. Uh, because oh, no. the and it's just and it's ridiculous back then that they would have even said that wins and losses for pitchers even mattered. It's a stupid stat. Uh, I I'm kind of sick of even seeing it. It's very arbitrary. It is, and you know what's funny is that when you look at relievers, usually relievers will have more losses than wins because relievers usually won't get the win because the starter has already established a lead, and every time the reliever blows it, which is going to happen a few times, they get the loss. Yeah. So it's a ridiculous for relievers when you're looking at them. Oh, is is win losses zero and three, or is win losses one and four? It's 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 just a stupid stat. It in no way shows any type. If you were to look at a pitcher's win loss record, um, you would be missing out on primo talent. ERA is oh, the main. Yeah. ERA is it. You should be just looking at ERA, earn run average. That's it. Um, oh yeah. ERA, ERA, whip. You know the the, the yeah, whip, numerical yes, stats, not not something that depends on something that's out of your control. Mm-hmm. You know, he he even said during his interview, he goes, "I had a couple RBIs, I tried to help out." <laughs> you know, <laughs> did he really but, say that? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> but you know, it, it's he's not a hitter. You know, the pitchers aren't hitters. It doesn't matter, and it, you know, it swings both ways. You know, God, it has been it's been six years already since Dickey won. And he went. Mm-hmm. He had twenty wins on a bat and met team because they scored for him, you know. Mm-hmm. So it can kind of go both ways. Indeed, indubitably. Uh, let's move on to the other awards. Uh, oh man, if we're going to Rookie of the Year, I'm going to get real heated in a second. But we'll go on. We'll, <laughs> we'll talk about the Gold Gloves. We'll talk about uh, just. We'll run through them. Keuchel, uh, Salvador Perez. Ah, this is the Gold Gloves are boring. Uh, Red Sox outfield won them because their outfield's amazing. Uh, they were phenomenal. Jackie Bradley Jr. is literally only meant to field, and yet he had a great postseason. Uh, and then they had Silver Slugger Awards. Okay, they don't matter. They don't matter. Okay, then we're going to go to the manager of the year. Uh, Bob Melvin for the Athletics, obvious pick. Uh, the Athletics have one of the lowest payrolls in baseball. If you haven't watched Moneyball, you should just watch it. They do not have a lot and sometimes they're just able to pull it out and Melvin did a great job with that team and they went to the wild card they got beat out by the Yankees you know that's just usual evil Yankees taking out the small little puny team but you have to hand it to him that he you know what's funny I think uh it's two years in a row now that the manager of the year for the American League was the second wild card team because last year the winner of it was the manager of the Twins, who got fired at the end of the season. And now it's Bob Melvin for the Athletics. So any team that loses to the Yankees in the wild card automatically wins manager of the year now, I guess. <laughs> I, I'm going to get on my soapbox for two seconds here, though. I got beef with this. It's I, I still think it should be Cora. You know, yeah, he won the World Series, whatever. Uh, but... Everybody gets on y'all you know, about the Red Sox payroll, like. Yeah, well, that's the thing. Sale is, and price were big contracts. Martinez, yeah, but a big chunk of that payroll for them was paying Pablo Sandoval to not be there, paying Hanley Ramirez to not be there, 
and paying that Cuban guy that's sitting in the minor leagues that didn't pan out. So that's a big chunk of their payroll. Um, and to win the amount of games that the Red Sox did, I still think like Cora got screwed a little bit. Yeah, I, I can understand that, but you have to put uh, my perspective is this. And obviously, I'm a Yankee boy, and I'm trying not to be biased, so I'll try not to be. But here's the deal: the Red Sox had 230, 240 million dollar payroll. They were the highest in the majors. They had all these amazing players: Martinez, Betts, uh, Benatendi, Sale, Price. Um, the Athletics are a team whose payroll is at least 120, 140 million less. And he was able to take his team and bring them to the wild card. And what you have to ask yourself is, what's more impressive? The team with the highest payroll winning the World Series or the team with one of the bottom six payrolls making it to the wild card? And in my opinion, it's the wild card. I mean, winning the World Series obviously is the ultimate goal. And if Bob Melvin had won the World Series with the Athletics, that'd probably be the biggest World oh, Series. Oh, God, he'd be, he'd be a god. He'd be, yeah, he'd be <laughs> immortal. They'd put a statue out of Oakland, but... Yeah, uh, you have to. That's the question that I ask myself, and I, I think that Melvin deservingly wins it. But I can understand how I can understand that Cora, Cora was the runner-up, and I could understand, you know, first year manager winning the World Series. It's pretty, it's pretty crazy. You know, he, the managers don't have the jobs that they used to because it's all about the analytics, and you got a bunch of nerds in the background telling the manager what exactly to do, and the orders come from up above, and that's just how it is now. They give them the numbers and they tell them what to do. Especially with a first-year manager, they're not going to trust him right away. But Cora did do his job. He did his job. He managed the team. He put whoever he wanted out there to make sure that they won. And he, he did a good job. And I, I uh, you got to give him props for that. Uh, but I, I do think that, in my opinion, Melvin won. But I can understand where you're coming from, Lewis. Rookie of the year. Oh boy. <laughs> uh. Well, actually, I didn't. I didn't mention uh, who won the uh, National League Manager of the Year. Um, that was the Atlanta Braves manager. Good for him, I guess. Good for him, <laughs> Brian. <laughs> Brian Snitker. Snitker. Uh, anyway, uh, yeah. So, to the to the Rookie of the Years. Um, I I'll, I'll don't. Just, I'll just real real quick, Lou, not to cut you off. You do your thing. Uh, just. You know, because we have to. Anything Milwaukee, we have to give praise to. I'll just say Craig Council should have won it because I'm just going to disagree on everything. <laughs> Go Greg. Yeah, whoever's the runner-up, we can just say, oh, well, then you're going to you're gonna support me then on the Rookie of the Year. Oh, right? no, I will not. <laughs> <laughs> because uh, Shoei Otani beats out Miguel Andujar and Gleyber Torres. He beats out Gleyber Torres. That's fine. He beats out Andujar, and I can understand why he beat out Andujar. Because Joey Otani is a generational talent. He's this new talent in which he can pitch and hit. And it's amazing. What I don't understand is this. The Yankees won 100 games and the Angels won 80. And Duhar was the best hitter on a 100-win team that went to the playoffs, went to the wild card, and then went to the divisional. They obviously got knocked out. Otani was out for over a month. He got injured. All right? And he stopped pitching. And he's, got, he's getting Tommy John surgery. He wasn't a consistent player. But the thing that did Andujar in is, well, two things. One, Otani's unique. And unless somebody came in and just destroyed Otani, was the greatest rookie ever, and Otani took a dive, I believe that this committee of 30 writers already had their minds made up. Otani was getting the award. You know, he's the new guy on the block, okay? He's the best Japanese player to come out of there since Ichiro Suzuki, except he can pitch. And Ichiro has pitched, but Otani is a professional, amazing pitcher. He had like a three ERA. Uh, he went four and one, even though record doesn't matter. And then he just gets shut down after nine starts. His batting average was solid. You know, 283 after he returned to being a DH, 16 homers, 41 RBIs. The thing that did Andujar in was war. Uh, now, war, for those listening, is wins above replacement, meaning that the number that is given on war calculated, it's this crazy algorithm that puts all these numbers together, at batting average, on base percentage, all these runs, batted in, and blah, blah, blah. They put them all together, they do some numbers, and it figures out 
how many wins this player is directly responsible for. And Otani's war was a 3.9. Meaning if you round it up, Otani himself for the 80 wins that they had, he was directly responsible for at least four wins, which is amazing. Okay, that's amazing numbers. And Duhar's number was a 2.2. So he had two two times less. Now it's still 2.2 is really good. But the thing with me is that I don't believe that a person should win Rookie of the Year like Otani. If he was out for that long, he wasn't as consistent. And Duhar was consistent. He was out there every game. He was playing amazing. He almost batted 300. He broke Joe DiMaggio's doubles record. And here's the big thing that I'm pissed about. And I might be a little hypocritical, and I'll just say it. When Hideki Matsui came over to the Yankees, he was 29 years old and he was open for Rookie of the Year. That is absolute bullcrap. No Japanese player that has played in the Japanese League professionally should be able to come over to the United States and be allowed to win Rookie of the Year. That's my honest opinion. Because Hideki Matsui was up for Rookie of the Year at the age of 29 after playing almost a decade in the Japanese League. How can you treat a man like that as Rookie of the Year? Otani, he played a few years in the Japanese League. He has a lot of professional experience. Miguel Andujar came in and stole the job at third base. The Yankees were not planning on him even starting this season. He comes and steals the job. An amazing, amazing hitter. I just don't think that it should have been a blowout. The votes were 25 out of 30 for Otani, 5 for Andujar. I think it should have been much closer to that. I think that Andujar should have at least gotten 10 to 11. I think the Raiders were just biased and they had their minds made up. That's my opinion. I, I think you're you're on to something. I, you know, the writers obviously need to be able to write stories. And Otani, when he comes back at some point next year, has Superstar written all over him. Um, you know, and especially when you think, I kind of think of it as, you know, through a writing perspective too. Um, being able to have two, in theory, generational talents on the same team with Otani and Trout. Um, it boosts ratings on the West Coast. Um, yeah. Boost ratings for baseball. God, Mike Trout is so good. I, I think, like you said, there was the hype around Torres coming over from the Cubs. I think you guys got him when he was, what, 19? We got you him know? We got him by dealing them Earl as Chapman. Yeah, then, from Chapman, and then getting him back. Yeah, you know, it's a, it's, it's a gen- Cashman's a genius. Yeah, essentially looting a top prospect from the Cubs for nothing for for their World Series run. <laughs> yeah, anything. <laughs> you know? Yeah, after a hundred years, you'll do anything for a World Series. Yeah, I, I think if Torres came up, I think if you if he comes up with all the hype that he had and puts up the same identical numbers to Andujar, then it's a lot closer discussion. Because it's Torres. He's the guy everyone's been waiting for for a couple of years. Like you said, Andujar kind of came out of nowhere. He so, wasn't you, so you believe the favorite. hype train. You believe. So you do oh. have a bit of a thing that like, oh, Otani came over. He had all the hype and he was going to win Rookie of the Year unless he completely flatlined. I be- oh, I be- absolutely. It's kind of like with Saquon in the NFL this season. Especially because both of his skills translated. Yeah. You know, if he came over and, you know was able to pitch but he wasn't really hitting well or if he was hitting and couldn't get anybody out then kind of the mystique to him almost gets tarnished a little bit yeah um trivia time trivia i'm cutting you off because i just found something and i want you to say it out loud for everybody to hear which major league rookie led which major league rookie in uh, compared to other rookies led the league in hits Doubles, extra base hits, multi-hit games, and tied the lead in homers. Is it Andujar? Yes, yes, it's Andujar. <laughs> Great work. Yes. I hate uh, you. <laughs> <laughs> keep going, though. I didn't mean to cut you off. I just no, no. I had to. I, I'm just such a Yankee boy, and I really think that he had a great season. It's just hard. No, definitely. He, he did. He did. But, at, like I said, at the end of the day, you have to be able to write stories. And... You know, these are writers that are voting on. It's not if the you know if each manager sat down and got a vote at the end of the season, then yes, the different conversation. The one thing, you know, when when you were talking that irked me a little bit because if a guy comes up from the minor leagues at 25, 26, 27, he's still eligible for rookie of the year. 
so crazy. I think DeGrom wanted it at like 26 years old when he came up. It's sometimes, sometimes you know, they get hurt or whatever the case may be. You know, same thing, you know, I don't think he won it, but in 2013, I want to say, Cespedes was eligible for rookie of the year when he came from Cuba. Oh, my gosh. You know, Puig was eligible when he came from Cuba. You know, it it just works out that way. You know, they're, they're rookies to the major leagues. You know, it's the Ben Simmons thing. It's the exact same thing as, you know, the Ben Simmons argument last year. Mm-hmm. Right, yeah. He comes, yeah, it's pretty much, right, he gets injured and then comes back. It's crazy. Anyway, we'll move on to the National League because my blood's still boiling from it. <laughs> Actually, I, I went from the beginning of me being mad to now I'm just kind of sad. <laughs> I'm just a little sad. Um, rookie little. of the year for the National League, Ronald Acuna. Uh, didn't think that was much of a debate. Uh think he had a great season uh, he had the highest war because that's all that matters he had a 4.1 war responsible for four wins for his team um according to this algorithm he beat out juan soto of the nationals and walker bueller of the dodgers uh bueller had a solid season a very good season but um yeah i, I thought it was between juan soto and acuna but acuna definitely had the edge oh yeah and and especially again you know, it goes into the fact that it's writers voting. Um, Acuna was the best player on a playoff team. Maybe Freddie Freeman was better than him. Yeah. Soto was great, but he was still playing with Bryce Harper, Anthony Rendon. Mm-hmm. You know, he's he had help. <laughs> yes, sure. Uh, yes, precisely. Um, and that's those are all the awards. The MVP uh, honors are going to be announced uh, tomorrow night. And unfortunately, we had to do it tonight. Uh, otherwise, we would usually record this on a Thursday. But uh, the American League finalists, Mookie Betts, Jose Ramirez, and Mike Trout. Uh, who do you think is going to win that, Lewis? Because I, I I, think it's – yeah, that's wrapped up. Mookie Betts. Yeah, Betts is going to win that. Uh, but Trout is just so good. But Trout is – he's the LeBron of the MLB. He's just not going to win the MVP anymore because there's going to be one player that's going to have an amazing season and do a little bit better than him. And then the next season, he'll, you know, be like, you know, between like 10 and 5 best. But Trout will always be the consistent best player in the major leagues, even though stat-wise he may come in second. He is the guy you want on your team. Any, any, the New York Yankees, if they were offered a Mike Trout for Glaber Torres and Andujar, they would trade them immediately. They'd go, yes, we will get rid of these people immediately. We'll give you Brian Cashman too. Give us Mike Trout. <laughs> um, National League finalist uh, Nolan Arenado, Javier Baez, and Christian Yelich. I think finally the Brewers might actually win something. <laughs> oh, oh! <laughs> so that good, one hurts. That good for deep. <laughs> good for Yelich for them uh, getting him off of the Marlins and making use of him. Uh, if only the Yankees got Yelich instead of getting Giancarlo. Yeah, Stanton. I was gonna say you got the wrong Marlin outfield. <laughs> <laughs> but it's it is what it is. Anyway, uh, that's that. So let's spin this wheel one more time. If it lands on NFL awards, I may just change it because I do not want to talk about awards anymore. Big NFL people getting dropped and picked up. Uh, So there's a few people that got dropped and picked up this week. Dropped, notably... uh, I think the biggest drop is Nathan Peterman. Um, he was a he was a really great guy, and <laughs> Nathan. That's my teammate. <laughs> That's my quarterback. <laughs> Poor Nathan. Uh, he. We've already mentioned his name three times. It's like Bloody Mary. This segment's been intercepted. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um. Yeah, he's a terrible quarterback, and he got dropped. So uh, no longer can you do the argument that, oh, if Nathan Peterman's on a team, then why isn't Colin Kaepernick? (laughs) So no more. That argument is now officially over. Now you'll have to deal with, I don't know, Matt Barkley, I guess. The Bills may have found their franchise quarterback finally, Matt Barkley. Josh Allen as backup. (laughs) Could you imagine? Uh he had a great game, and he, Matt Barkley, has come back from the dead after two years of not being in the NFL, and has successfully 
force the Jets to, well, they haven't done it yet, but they will clean house at the end of the season after that loss. And that's good good for Matt Barkley, affecting the NFL like that. Most productive USC quarterback ever. <laughs> yeah, for real, yeah. Terrell Pryor, uh, four teams in three seasons, cut by his fourth team after two weeks with the Bills. He had a what he hoped to be a homecoming with the Jets, and he did nothing. So he is now off, and he is probably gonna come back for a little bit. But I, don't, I think he's done. I think that's the end. I think that's the end of Terrell Pryor in the NFL. He had a good season with the Browns that one year when they were terrible, and he was the only option that they had at wide receiver. But got traded to the Redskins. Did you see that stuff about him with the Redskins, by the way, at practice? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah with him fighting with Swearinger and yeah he, well yeah and then there was the thing where he was injured and so when he was with the Redskins uh he was wearing the red penny because he was still recovering from injury and so when he was going out catching passes and stuff the cornerbacks couldn't touch him and what happens is is that when he was going and he wasn't being tackled or anything he was trying to make one-handed grabs and he was trying to like flaunt it and then taunting the defenders when he was catching the ball but the defenders couldn't hit him because he was recovering from an injury. So then when he eventually left the Skins and went to the Jets, they were so excited during a practice round during the preseason, I think it was, that they were yeah. just going to completely demolish Pryor. And they made a they, they did this one thing, I think. Uh, or do you remember the, Co- the famous Kobe flinch? Yeah. They pretty much did that to him at practice, and he almost fell to the ground because <laughs> he was so scared of getting smacked. And then uh, Hugh Jackson getting picked up by Marvin Lewis, the Bengals. Hugh Jackson now becoming the Dwight Schrute of the NFL. <laughs> <laughs> Assistant to the head coach. <laughs> <laughs> right, yeah. So Hugh Jackson. Uh, so if I were to give you these four careers and you have to rank them in order of complete failure this season and very mighty hopeful this season, um, Terrell Pryor, Nathan Peterman, and Hugh Jackson – uh, who do you think has the brighter future, and who do you think is definitely done? Terrell Pryor is definitely done. I think, like I said, it was a one fluky year in Cleveland because there was nobody else. Um, Hugh Jackson's in the what I would perceive as the best spot. I don't. I think there's something up there. You know, if Marvin Lewis is going to retire or get fired or whatever, they may just be bringing Hugh Jackson in house so they have him. Um, to to just promote him in the off season. Um, however, I'm not counting out Peterman yet, just because teams like to think that you know it was just the Bills system that made him bad. If we get him in on our team, he might be good again. He's still young, you know. He's a quarterback. He has experience playing. I don't think he's good. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think he's good at all. But some team's gonna like roll the dice on him. It could be the Giants, for all we know, that roll the dice. It's like, yeah, we can make Peterman work. <laughs> I really hope not. I really hope the Giants do not do that. Uh, here's the stat, by the way, about Aaron Rodgers. If Aaron Rodgers found a way to throw 1,240 receptions in his next 1,240 pass attempts, he would still have a better touchdown-to-interception radio ratio than the former Buffalo Bills starter. Oh, jeez. Yeah, sad. Uh but I think um, Peterman is definitely done. I think Pryor is going to get picked up somewhere. And I think Hugh Jackson, once the Bengals lose their first playoff game, I think he's going to go into, hmm, maybe him and Rex can be on NFL Countdown or something. That will be cute, right? See, see, that's my thing with, with Hugh Jackson. He's an offensive-minded coach. He always has been. The league is going that way. Like, we were talking about it last week with with Cleveland. You know, everybody under 40 is a head coaching candidate because of Sean McVay. Like, it just – Matt Patricia is probably the exception, but I think the days of getting a defensive-minded head coach are dead. I mean, yeah, they're getting getting wiped out. Todd Bowles is done. probably going to get another job. Yeah, Todd Bowles is done. Hugh Jackson got fired. The defensive defensive minded coaches are done. There are certain certain coaches – that will get a second chance because of their personality. And Hugh Jackson has a, even though he was a, a little weird in that one scene in Hard Knocks that everybody's criticizing him about, where he said, this is my team and I'm doing it my way, and stuff like that, and people didn't like him about that, I think his personality is going to allow him to 
be likable to some teams when they're looking for some types of assistance and stuff. But on the other hand, people like Ben McAdoo, even though he may have been proven a little bit right, only by the fact that the team's not doing well, is probably not going to get a job anytime soon because he simply is a clown when he's doing yeah. press conferences and when he's talking to players and they just didn't respect him at all when they were lo- when they were winning they barely respected him and then when they were losing it just all went downhill. Exactly. And and that's the thing is a respected head coach gets multiple chances. Like Jack Del Rio coached the really really bad Jaguars and was able to bounce back, came back with a, you know, was a D coordinator with Denver then ended up in Oakland. So, hmm. you know, coaches come back around, players if the book's kind of out on you, it's a shorter shelf life. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Uh, last stat from Nathan Peterman. Uh, he threw three interceptions and zero touchdowns in a game, and his passer rating actually went up from 20 to 30. Oh, boy. <laughs> anyway, um, yeah, so Nathan Peterman's trash. And that, I would consider... Hot takes. That was a hot take. And we have only one hot take today that I thought of off the cuff. And, Lewis, I think you already know what this is because I think I might have sent this to you. Uh, But here's the hot take. Nick Mullins of the 49ers will start a game for an NFL team next season. Do you think you'd take that? Yep, absolutely. I think it it may be with the Giants. I mean, I'm willing to go even hotter. (laughs) I think it might be for the. I think it might be for the Niners. I know Garoppolo is making all that money, but hey, uh, Osweiler got dropped after he signed a huge contract. What's to say that Garoppolo won't get dropped if Mullins actually becomes serviceable? I mean, Garoppolo started the season absolutely horrid, and then he got injured. So who knows? But I, I, yeah, I think <laughs> I think Nick Mullins has a chance. I think he could. Oh, I, I, he absolutely has a chance. I, he's he's good. He, he's good. Um, Undrafted way, in 2017. Uh, yeah, and and I was I was talking about the, I was talking about with the guy the other day. I think the Giants may take the route of almost a quarterback by committee next year, and take maybe Nick Bosa at that wow. one or two wherever the, wherever they end up. You mean like a Teddy Bridgewater or something to the free agency? Yeah, kind of thing? like like bring in. Maybe Bridgewater or Fitzpatrick have Lyuletta still on the team. If they brought up Fitzpatrick, Nick I'd be Mullins pissed. or Nathan Peterman, and just play somebody out there, knowing that you know whatever you get, you get. Next year is not the year for the franchise quarterback, and then the following year you end up with a Tua Tagovailoa or Jake Fromm Ooh. or one of the other ones. I could see that. I could see them going. Almost, almost jet style. Like when they had like Geno Smith, Fitzpatrick, mm-hmm. um, Kevin Cobb, all on the same team. Matt Weiner, all on the same team. And it's like we're gonna go into camp, and whoever starts starts. We really don't care. <laughs> Kevin Cobb, what a name! <laughs> Forgot he existed. Yeah, no. If you were to compare this year's upcoming quarterback class to potentially what the next year or the year after that might be, it's not even a comparison. With Jake Fromm and, and Tua, and uh, with this year, the class is pretty much Justin Herbert, and that's about it. Yeah. Well, um, Greer, maybe. But oh, he's... what about the uh, the Auburn quarterback I always thought was pretty good? Oh, uh, Stidham? I thought Jared Stidham was a, was a really good quarterback. If, if I'm taking anyone from this class, I'm taking Greer. Not I Herbert. really like... No. I really like quarterbacks coming out of the Big 12 because they don't play defense. <laughs> so you know, they have not, to rely on just absolute. So, so you have to rely on you know having a solid running back and being able to sling the ball all over the field. That's how Mahomes was a nobody until he played against Oklahoma, and I think they went for like 120 combined points. You know, mm-hmm. they and and it establishes like wow, this kid's got an arm. Like if we if we can hone in kind of his mechanics, he's got a shot and he's good. You know, I I think it's the same thing with Greer. You know, if, if someone if if the Giants sort of bring him in and work with him, you know, again maybe sign keep throwing this name out there. You know, if it's Patrick or Bridgewater, just to take the pressure off of him. The more you say that the Giants sign Fitzpatrick, the more just like 
my eye is like tighten and my like cheeks bones go up and I'm just like Ugh. Fitzpatrick had a great game last week over 400 yards York. passing he's played in New York oh my gosh yeah he went from Fitzmagic to Fitztragic back to Fitzmagic and then complete Fitztragic and then just falling off the face of the earth and you thought his career was done and then Jameis Winston goes and does the thing with an Uber driver because he's a trash human being. And then Fitzpatrick comes in, Fitzmagic, then Fitztragic, then Winston, and then Sad Winston, and then Fitztragic, and then another Fitzmagic, but with no touchdowns. And who knows what the hell is going on with him. But if you get Teddy Bridgewater, a solid human being who would have been, who would have been maybe making a playoff run with the Vikings if it wasn't for Blair Walsh, I think there's a chance with Teddy Bridgewater. There's a future. He's a young they could hold him down on a, probably like a two to three year contract. You don't have to pay him a crazy amount of money. They may have to, I don't know. I think Teddy Bridgewater is a great go for, but also so do a million other NFL teams. So when you get to the point Including of the team that he's with, <laughs> that's true. The saints would like to keep him. The eight Oakland Raiders want to get rid of Derek Carr. So maybe they would do a swap for Carr and Bridgewater or something like that. The Giants don't have anybody to trade to them, really, at quarterback-wise to replace Teddy. They would have to give them a big pick. Now, and here's my opinion, is that the Giants should stick to drafting a quarterback if they get into the top five. But if they go outside of the top five and they start winning games, like Odell's saying, they're going to run the table. Go 9-7 and seven and make the playoffs. <laughs> yeah, right. But, you know, we, you know, this went from a hot take of Nick Mullins to us actually talking about the Giants now. But anyway, <laughs> uh, yeah, I think the Giants, if they're in the top five for a draft pick, if they're like pick three or pick four, they should stick and try to see if they can grab a quarterback. Um, but if they can, if they get to like pick nine or ten or something like that and they're, you know, left trying to pick like a Josh Rosen at nine like the Cardinals did, uh, I would just say just pick somebody else. Just don't pick a tight end. Like, pick a, pick a defensive player that's going to be good. You played in the NFL. What's longer, a half or 5'8"? Pro picks. Nobody can do it like I can. <laughs> Nobody can do it like I can, Lewis. But you didn't. You weren't the crazy one that picked the Buffalo Bills thinking Nathan it was Peterman amazing. was in just for Matt Barkley to come in and whoop the guy. <laughs> It's going to keep clapping for a bit. Uh, I, I told you you were crazy. I told you that you were an insane human being and that I, I told you that was a terrible pick, and I'm sorry. I do apologize. I hope you can forgive me. You're forgiven for now. Here are the picks that I'm taking. The New York Giants are favored by 1.5 points against the Buccaneers. Guess what? I'm not touching that. For my entire life, I will not touch that. But you know what I will touch? James Connor. James Connor. Against the Jacksonville Jaguars. I think the Steelers being favored by 5.5 points aren't enough. Now, James Connor obviously is in concussion protocol, but he came back and practiced fully today. I don't think they'll have a problem. I think he'll come back. I think he'll have a huge game. The Jaguars are 3 and 6 and they're falling apart. They played last week. They won last week, right? But I think that's about it. Their defense is. Not that good. It used to be good. No longer good. Steelers have five and a half. I think that's a quality, quality pick. Next game, uh, Oakland Raiders against Cardinals. And my upset pick's going to be the Oakland Raiders with John Gruden. Is that a bad choice? Yeah, probably. You probably shouldn't I, take I, that. I think you're just reaching after my Buffalo <laughs> Hail Mary last week. I saw that, Lewis. <laughs> Got an amazing pick with Buffalo last week. And so, therefore, I'm going to take the Raiders at taking 5.5 points. I think the Cardinals just aren't that good. I think they're getting better. But I, the Raiders, they have to have a good game at some point, right? And if they're going to do it, it's going to be against the 2-7 and seven Cardinals team. Anytime that I see one of my guys on my team play against the Cardinals, I start him. I have Jalen Richard. I have Jared Cook. They're both going to start. I think that they're going to put up points. I think Derek Carr is a solid quarterback, even though he's not been doing well. Raiders, I have them winning the game, but even if they don't win, as long as they lose by like a field goal or four points, I still cover. They just can't lose by a touchdown. So I got the Raiders doing the upset. I don't, I don't, I don't need you to win. I just need you to play well against the Cardinals team. That's not good. Uh, 
I'm going to regret those decisions, aren't I? <laughs> Possibly. Possibly. So for my pro picks, so for my favorite, I'm going to go with the Baltimore Ravens. At home. At home. Like I said, the Bengals just brought in the Dwight, Shute, Dwight Schrute of coaches and uh, assistant to the head coach, Hugh Jackson. <laughs> you think they're just going to play worse with him? <laughs> oh, Hugh Jackson's and, here. Let's all just stop trying. Wait, he was with the Browns. We got to suck now, right, don't we? <laughs> <laughs> um, but the biggest factor for this, Flacco's got a hip problem. There is no book on Lamar Jackson. I think he's going to run wild all over the Bengals. Literally run. He will just run. Literally just running all over the place. I picked up John Brown in one of my other leagues because he's got to dump it off to someone eventually. That's true. That's true. But uh, you would think that he'd probably just dump it off to Allen or Ty Montgomery or... Uh, yeah, I forgot they have Montgomery now, yeah. And Alex Collins. I don't know. And then for my upset, screw it. I'm going on the opposite side of one of your games. Jacksonville. They oh. took him out of the playoffs last year. They have the book on beating the Steelers. Give me Jacksonville. Chinese water torture. That's what I want you to go through. That's what <laughs> that's what I think would be good for you at this moment. <laughs> All right. Those are our picks. Those are some pretty, pretty good picks. I think we got a good episode in our hands, Lewis. Thanks for listening. Thanks for taking the time to hang out with Lewis and I. And we will see you next week on Sports Ball for Millennials.